Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20. Last week we studied in our church covenant about abstaining from the sale and use of intoxicating drinks as a beverage. And we've made that, uh, we've engaged to do that. That's something that we have uh, covenanted, we've agreed to do, we've read several verses on that. You can go back, read your notes, you can go back and listen to or watch the message. On Facebook, we uh, elaborated, expounded. I know there's folks who disagree with that, and I think that they disagree with a lot of things. And that's just the way they're going to be. They're just going to disagree. That's their nature. They disagree. But I want to read here in Isaiah 5 and verse 20. Again, this passage of scripture, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And I think that one of the things that we need to look at, I think that sometimes uh, the pendulum swings too far and people's intentions, <clears throat> good intentions, uh, go too far or they deal with things they ought not to. And I want to spend this morning looking at how that this doesn't bear anything to do with the Lord's Supper. I think that we just want to draw a hard line here and show this morning that the Lord's Supper is not a social drink. It's the Lord's Supper. And so I want you to understand this, and I don't think that you don't, but I think that we just want to put this down and, and to, to make it known and as we deal with this that there's a difference. And there's a difference between the Lord's Supper and everything else, isn't there? It's His Supper. And so I want you to understand here, there's a lot of folks who will, and they took this and they ran with it, and then there's some folks who want to, you know, well, the Lord did this and the Lord did that, and He did this, that, and the other, and, and it's, it just, it's amazing. I had a friend in high school. He was a Southern Baptist, and now I don't know what he is, but he's supposed to be in, in he's got a ministry. It's not the ministry. He's not in the Lord's ministry. But uh, he doesn't have any problems. He, he can't fathom the fact that we used wine in the Lord's Supper, but he evidently didn't have a problem drinking liquor, alcohol, as a social drink. And I marvel at that. But it amazes me. And 
as I said, a lot of people will say about different cultures, will say, well, in this culture, if you go over to Europe, or if you go to South America, or if you go over here in different places, you know, in different places they'll do this, that, and the other. That's the wonderful thing about the gospel, is it transcends all cultures. No matter what culture you are, when God saves you, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Well, my grandfather was saved. Many people said, well, he's a reformed drunkard. And he said, no, I'm a born again. I'm born again. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. So I want you to look here <clears throat> as we deal with this that there is a symbolic significance of the Lord's Supper. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And, and I can go into grave detail. I'm not going to go this morning, but uh, we could and we probably should at another time look into uh, what all the, the things that were done, the Jews with the Passover supper and all the things that they did, but I, I don't, uh, I'm not prepared to do that this morning and that's okay. But I want to show you here how that the Lord used wine in the Lord's Supper. That's what he used. And we ought to use what he did. And there's a reason he used wine. In 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 24, the Bible says, And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. And the Bible tells us that in verse 26, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Now, when we do this, when we observe the Lord's Supper, we are showing forth the Lord's death till He comes. The Lord's Supper is strictly symbolic. And we must seek to establish the symbols of which the Lord used, which the Bible tells us to use, and which refer to Christ his shed blood and his broken body. And if we miss these symbols, then we don't show forth his broken body and we don't show forth his shed blood. And therefore, we don't have the symbols. I know some pastors or ministers that I've talked to and I'm sure that they're well-meaning, but their comments about it are quite disturbing. And they'll say, well, I, this is what I believe, but if the church wants to do it this way, or if they want to do it this way, then I'll minister it this way or that way. Well, as my grandfather said, if you, if you straddle the fence, you'll fall off. And if you stand in the middle of the road, you better be careful. You'll get hit from both sides. Why not lead the church according to thus saith the Lord? 
Why not have some convictions and teach what the Bible says about it and how it ought to be done? Look over, if you would, Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26. I don't have really anything new to say on the subject that has not already been said, I'm sure. That hasn't already been studied out. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26, as we said... What is the Bible symbols of salvation found in the broken body and shed blood? What are the symbols? Well, again, it has to be that which signifies the pure blood and the pure body. In Matthew 26, 26, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it, and break it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now, you and I know, just as well as anybody, that he was there, and where did he go? He went into this room... And they had gone in there, and they had gone, as the Bible tells us, and you can look previously, you can look up there in verse uh, 17 of Matthew 26. Now the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to them, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? So it was the time of the Passover. And... You know that the Bible tells us that the time of the Passover, what did they do? Well, they had to go and they had to get rid of all the leaven and all the houses, didn't they? And so what did he have? Well, his options were limited and what substances he could have had there available unto him. So he had unleavened bread, didn't he? And what else did he have? He had wine, didn't he? Because we know he couldn't have had bread with leaven in it. We also know, according to the scriptures, that leaven, Jesus equated leaven with sin, didn't he? Didn't he teach on that previously when he told his disciples, but where are ye the leaven? Uh, and he told him, he said, I'm not talking about the leaven of bread, but the leaven of the Pharisees and what was it, the Sadducees? He said, I'm talking about their false teachings. And do you remember what that was? And that how he spoke to them about the leaven? You see, leaven is always used in Scripture. The Spirit of God uses leaven to always speak of sin. That's why when we studied about the Lord's church and there was that woman and she sprinkled leaven and some people say, well, that's the gospel seed. That's contrary to the usage of the leaven in Scripture. 
I, there's some good-meaning men, brethren of mine, who I love them to death, that, that, that is contrary to the usage of leaven in Scripture. I know some commentators like to use that and say, well, this is what it means. No. The seed is the gospel. Right. Leaven is sin. And so here we find that leaven, it, it, this is unleavened bread. And those of you who ever made bread, you know you put yeast in there. And you ever open up a packet of yeast and them little round tiny things, you know, them Fleischmann yeast. You put that in there with the dough, you'll never get it out. But they had to get all the leaven out of the house. And so here was Christ and he had unleavened bread and then he had fermented wine. Wasn't grape juice. Boy, grape juice would have been something impossible to keep in that climate too. And that's been proven too. But there he was with those things and he institutes the Lord's Supper. And you can hold up both of those things. You can hold up the wine, and you, the fermented wine, and you can hold up the unleavened bread, pure. And you can say, this is indicative, this is representative of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's symbolic of it because it doesn't have a type of sin in it. You can hold up a cup of unleavened or a fermented wine and you can say, this is a type of the blood of Christ. It doesn't have the type of sin in it. You can't do that with grape juice. You can't do that with a piece of white bread, can you? Or wheat bread, or potato bread, or or banana bread, or or a, a cracker, Kenya. Look over, if you would, in First Corinthians chapter eleven. First Corinthians chapter eleven. <clears throat> I want you to see here in verse 20 and 21 the Apostle Paul writing in the church at Corinth you see, at the church of Corinth, one of the things that they were doing was they was abusing the uh, uh, ordinance of the, the Lord's Supper and they were abusing the elements of the Lord's Supper and the purpose of it. Some were drinking to the point of being intoxicated, that they had become drunk. Look here in 1 Corinthians 11, 
Verse 20 and 21, he says, When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. So they were abusing the elements. Now, you drink all the grape juice you want, you'll never get drunk. You might get sick as a horse, but you won't get drunk. Paul didn't condemn the elements, did he? But he condemned the misuse of them. <clears throat> Look over in John 19. The Gospel of John chapter 19. Again, I know some folks... <clears throat> they like to say certain things about things that took place. Things that happened, things that didn't happen. In John 19, verse 28, here we find the Lord Jesus on the cross. And observe here, it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar. And vinegar is a sour wine used by the soldiers to drink. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the higher end, the higher quality, if you would. It was a sour one. And they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. And if you... Don't know what they did, and Brother Salakup, uh, Sister Ferguson's uncle, he has noted this before in writing, but he mentioned it at the conference. And what they did was, <clears throat> what the, they would use is, in their uh, latrines, uh, they would use essentially toilet paper on a stick. And they would wipe themselves and then they would put it in water and it would be you know hyssop or a sponge or whatever and that's what they would use and they would clean themselves with it well that's what they dipped in there and they gave, put that up to the Lord that's what they that was part of the mistreatment that he received And he, he willingly did this for us. I mean, you can't... I mean, this was not normal. He, this was beyond typical crucifixion. What Christ endured for you and me. 
And the Bible tells us here, they put it upon his foot to his mouth. Now notice verse 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, so he received it. And this is what I was telling you last week. This was the cordial that you would get upon a death when you were dying. They would give this to you as uh, like a painkiller. But they did this in mockery of him. See, they, they just mo were mocking him when he said, I thirst. Because again, this was a very dehydrating thing. A crucifixion was. But even more so with Christ. And so he says, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. A lot of people say, oh, Jesus never drank. Well, here's an occasion where he did. He received it, it says. I can tell you this, he never got drunk. We know that. What we find is he never abused it. But we see that he used wine and instituted the Lord's Supper with it, didn't he? Some will say that according to the scriptures, the Lord said, drink of the fruit of the vine. And if there were no other scripture to show us what the fruit of the vine symbolizes, which there is, and it's been demonstrated how that uh, grapes will ferment on the vine. There is, there is a fermentation on the skin and it will begin to ferment in the wild. So much so that deer have been found to be intoxicated. Because they have eaten fermented grapes in the wild. Then, if it were the fruit of the vine, Christ could have used, he could have been speaking of tomato juice. How come nobody uses tomato juice that believes that it's a, a grape juice? How come they don't use tomato juice? That's a fruit of the vine. Or watermelon juice. Or, you know, gourd juice. They could juice a pumpkin and get the juice from it. Why is it always grapes? You see, the wine symbolizes that salvation is in the blood of Christ. There's no scripture, absolutely none, that verifies that grape juice was ever used as an element of the Lord's Supper. Amen. There's no scripture that teaches grape juice as a symbol of the sinless blood of Jesus Christ. And we ought not to misconstrue scriptures to be something they are not. Right. 
And we ought not to use wine for wrong motives. Look over in Proverbs 23. Proverbs I don't want to read beginning at verse 30. It says, They that tarry long at the wine... Well, let's back up for a minute. Read the previous verse. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine, look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. Those are the effects of it. That's what it does. I think we probably all know someone who's dealt with that. Maybe a relative. Maybe, maybe yourself dealt with it. I don't know. But it's a very powerful thing, isn't it? And it's extremely socially acceptable, isn't it? And the Bible here is very plain and clear. It says, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red. Well, compare that, if you would, over in Matthew 5. The Gospel of Matthew 5. And it tells us in Matthew 5 and verse 28 this. It says here, But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So, look not thou upon the wine. And it says, Don't look after a woman with lust in your heart. It was the same difference, isn't it? Looking after the wine, looking after a woman with lust. Don't lust after these things. Don't desire them. I 
and the wrong motives that the wine has. At last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. The effects, how many, how many multitudes of victims to this deadly vice in every age, among every rank of society. It doesn't matter how many among the poor and downtrodden, and yet how many among the so-called elite has it brought down? I mean, just look at our own so our own president's son. I know he's into the cocaine as well. But what the alcohol done to him too. But look as well what one look to Jesus will do. Behold the Lamb of God. Even as Moses was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And all those who look upon Him shall be saved. And the drunkard becomes sober, the unclean holy, the glutton becomes temperate. And the love of Christ overpowers the love of sin. Isn't that amazing? And so there seems to be some some folks who want to argue with the Word of God just need to get in line with it. Right. Yeah. And they need to quit dabbling with sin. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are not uh, edifying. They don't build me up. All, he went on to say all things are lawful unto me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. I'm not going to be brought under the spell or authority of anything. Some people, well, they're brought under the power of, of this alcohol or this drug or that drug or this thing or that thing. Well, we ought not to be brought under the power of anything except the power of God. And so may the Lord bless His Word. And may the Lord help us that we would surrender unto Him and His Word. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Again, it's been good to...